Come on back. All you beautiful people. I don't always feel the spirit of the Lord during worship, but I was feeling it this morning. I was, you know, there's a real, there is a real sweet, there is a real sweet presence of the Lord here this morning. Robin and I were, we were just talking about 10 minutes ago and we were just, we were talking about how the most the most important thing for a person is to really connect with the Lord in a way that they can actually receive something from the Lord. Because the thing is, you can only give away what you have. And so if you, if you don't have anything to give, that's okay. But it's, it's really cool when a person receives something from the Lord and then out of their heart, they give that thing away. You know, you might not even know that principle, but you know it. You might not be able to articulate that, but you know when somebody's giving you something that they're actually carrying. And I hope you were catching what Robin was giving away to us just now when he was talking about that desire to help, you know, help another church down the street. The Lord, it's the Lord's heart that Robin was given away. So I'm so thankful to the Lord for his, for revealing his heart to us. Amen. I was, uh, before, before we, we, we usually pray over here in the side room before worship and I going, going to sleep last night. I never usually sleep on Saturday nights, but going to sleep, I, I had this prayer. I said to the Lord, Lord, I want to get my mind back. And the Lord said, well, start fasting from your iPhone. Simple enough, but it seems kind of hard to do. But prior to us going into the prayer room this morning, I decided to leave my iPhone in the office. And a really interesting thing happened to me. I needed my iPhone five times right after I left it in my office. Like not to play video games, but like I actually needed it. I needed to find out what time it was. I needed to check my notes on a couple things. But I didn't run back and get my phone because it was too far away. So I just kind of like lived my life for five minutes without my iPhone. (laughs) And, and, And during worship, I heard the Lord say this to me. He said, it is good for you to fast from things that you need. It's good for you to fast from things that you think you need. Because the thing is, is that we get into ruts jumping from thing that we need to thing that we need to do to thing that we need to do. And we never fast. You know, the word fast, we think of it as such a negative term but it is really a term for rest. It's really giving your mind a break. It's giving your heart a break. It's giving your body a break. And so I just, I don't know. That's not even part of my message. I just thought that was pretty cool. The Lord was rebuking me in front of all these people, you know. 
I think the Lord, I think, I think if you find yourself repenting a lot, don't be discouraged by that. That's the process towards maturity in the Lord. You know you're a disciple of the Lord if you find the need to repent often. You're in trouble if you're not repenting a lot. If you go years without repenting about something, you might need to ask yourself some questions. You might need to ask the Lord to have a talk with you on a couple things. So anyways, he doesn't really speak harshly. He, yeah, well, I take that back. He does speak harshly sometimes, but that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes we need to be woken up because we get stuck in illusion and the Lord is interested in bringing a reality to us, isn't he? So we're in the book of Ruth today. If you've been with us for a while, you've known that we've been traveling through the Old Testament. We started with Genesis, and I'm particularly excited about the book of Ruth. For one, it's really short. (laughs) So it's going to be kind of easy to cover. But there's another reason why I love this book. One of the things you've been hearing us say throughout the course of this series is, is that God's story is our story. Right? We, we are a part of God's story. And if you don't know the story of God, then there's a part of your story that you actually are ignorant to. And reading the Bible is really important. I had a conversation with a young man this morning or this week, and he was asking me for advice on some things in his life. And I couldn't come up with anything to help this guy. But I I came up with two things. I said, here's what you should do. You should read your Bible and you should pray. Like that was all the revelation that I had. I didn't have anything more to give this man. But I've seen in my own life how my neglect of reading my Bible every day and and praying every day has actually taken me backwards. Because somewhere along the line, I determined that there was greater revelation out there and other ways to get it So I neglected the very simple things of reading my Bible and praying every day. But if you feel off course, if you feel like you're not hearing God in your life, if you feel like you're lacking wisdom or you don't know what to do, part of the process of finding out what to do starts with reading your Bible every day. And the thing is this, you won't always understand what you read. And that's okay. Just give yourself to the discipline of humbling yourself before the word of God. I heard Bill Johnson say this one time. People would complain to him that they'd never remembered what they read in the Bible. I loved his answer. I'd never thought about this before. It's fantastic. He said, listen, I eat every day. I don't remember what I had for breakfast last Tuesday, but it still nourished me. So there's something for us, church. There's something for us to return to the simple things that we learned early on that we've maybe set aside and we've believed the lie that it's too hard to follow Jesus. Well, it is difficult to follow him, but he has given us everything that we need to do it. So today we're going to look at the book of Ruth. And... Last week, Robin covered the book of Judges. It's a very large book. At the end of the book of Judges, 
There are two stories that are told. They're terrible stories. One is about the tribe of Dan. And the short version is the tribe of Dan completely rejects Yahweh and they give themselves fully and completely to following a false high priest and, and worshiping false idols. That's one story that the, the book of Judges closes with. The story after that is even worse. It's, it's about the perverse wickedness of the tribe of Benjamin and the almost total annihilation of that tribe. There was this crime that was committed among the Benjamites that was so bad that the rest of the armies of Israel decided we have to deal with this wickedness and they went to war with the, the tribe of Benjamin. The short, the short version of that story is only 600 men were left after 25,000 of them existed. Okay? Things were very, very bad in the nation of Israel at the end of the book of Judges. Those two stories don't happen chronologically at the end of the book. They're just there because the writer wants you to know that the people of God got off track in the very worst way possible. The interesting thing about the book of Ruth is the book of Ruth is really a part of the book of of Judges. You can actually read the book of Judges all the way through to the end of the book of Ruth and not, you're in the same place. What happens in the book of Ruth happens at the time of the book of Judges. And the reason why it's so interesting, it's like, it's like God is in advance of the New Testament projecting the gospel right smack dab in the middle of the age of the law of Moses. It's a prophetic location that the story of Ruth comes right after the idolatry of the tribe of Dan and the perversion of the tribe of Benjamin. God's saying, things were this bad, but out of nowhere, here I come. In the final verse of the book of Judges, Robin talked about it last week. It goes like this. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So even the location of the story of Ruth is an announcement of good news. Contrasted against the last two stories found in the book of Judges, Ruth is the announcement that when things are at their very worst, God has a plan of redemption already working. God works secretly in the most unexpected places and in the most unexpected ways. So the story of Ruth, the reason why it's there and the reason for its existence, it's that it's, it's meant to defy expectations. All right. So here's the story. There was a famine in the land of Judah. There was a famine in the fields of of Bethlehem and there was a a man named Elimelech and he had a wife named Naomi and they had two sons, Malon and Kilion. And because of this famine, they left Bethlehem and they crossed back over the Jordan and they went to a strange land. They went to a place called Moab. And when they got there, they lived there for a, a number of years and their sons grew into men and the sons took wives, 
from the daughters of Moab. They married Moabitesses, and one was named Orpah, and the other was named Ruth. So you have this family of three men and three, three women. And, and one season followed another, and then all of a sudden, Elimelech died. And then his two sons died. And you have these three widows that were, were bereft. They were bereaved. They were bewildered. Sometimes when we read these stories, we lose kind of the impact of the reality. But the thing is, if you were a widow in that age, you had no means of support. Depending on where you were in the social structure, um, you, you may have been here, but as soon as you became a widow, you, you went down here because you couldn't sow your own fields. You couldn't work your own fields. You went to the very bottom of the social stratus. And that was the case for, for Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. And Naomi says to her two daughters-in-laws, her former daughters-in-laws, here's the deal. I don't know what to do. You should go back to your families. Go back to where you came from. And, and the Bible says that Orpah agreed to this, this arrangement. She kissed Naomi and then she went back to her family. But Ruth did not. The Bible says she cleaved to her. She clung to her. And Naomi had heard that God had visited Israel again with bread. And so Ruth and Naomi, they travel back to, to Israel where they hear that there's bread. And, and, you know, I don't know. Like when, I, when I'm having lack or when I, when I can't pay my iPhone bill, I, you know, that's one sort of poverty, but if you don't have any food to eat and no way of getting food, you have no food coming at your direction, you have no money coming your way, and there's no possibility of you getting food, things are looking pretty bleak for you. That's the way it was for Naomi and Ruth. So they get back to Bethlehem. And somewhere along the line, Ruth says to Naomi, listen, why don't I go glean in these fields over here? And Naomi said, that would, that would be a good idea. So Naomi ends up in the fields of a very wealthy man named Boaz. And, and there was a provision in the Levitical law that said this. If you have fields, you can harvest them, but you can't harvest them all the way out to the edges. You must leave some for the poor. You must leave some for the widows. So Ruth was out there uh, in kind of a humiliating fashion. It was humiliating to be that poor. It was, it was not a good situation. But she went out there and she began to pick. She began to pick those kernels of wheat off the ground that had been left behind by the harvesters. And Boaz noticed her. There was a man named Boaz. And he noticed her. And he had been hearing stories about this woman named Ruth who had decided to leave behind her homeland and to journey with her mother-in-law and to take care of her mother-in-law. And so there began this courtship and, and Naomi had heard that Boaz had noticed Ruth and Naomi begins to give Ruth direction on, on how to present herself to Boaz in order to present their cause and their need for redemption. 
And somewhere along the line, this man, Boaz, decides that he would like to marry this girl, Ruth. He really likes her. He thinks she's great. And so there's this process that he has to go to because he is the kinsman of Emelech, who was Naomi's husband, who had passed away. But there was a closer redeemer. There was a closer relative to Naomi, to Elimelech. And there was a process in which Boaz had to go and make things right with this person so that he could marry Ruth. And in the process of this arrangement, Boaz buys back the land that Emelech and Ruth had left behind. And so... And we see the closing out of this story where there's a full restoration of, of the birthright. There's a full restoration of the inheritance. There's a full restoration of all the things that Naomi had lost. She all of a sudden has regained. There's a passage in, in Ruth when when Naomi and Ruth are still in the land of Moab and she says, girls depart from me and Orpha goes off to her family. Ruth says this thing to her. It's one of the most beautiful passages ever written. She says this, entreat me not to leave you. Urge me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge, and your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God, and where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried, and the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. So Boaz buys back the land of Elimelech and Naomi and restores that which was totally lost. And in redeeming Ruth, he takes her into himself, this Gentile bride. And yet again, in the story of God, God's original intent is amplified. For not only is this Moabite girl brought into the story of God, she eventually becomes the mother of Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David, and who is ultimately the father of our Lord Jesus. So we see in the book of Ruth, we see the outsider brought in. The outsider is brought into the family line of God. Gentile blood is introduced again, I might add, is introduced into the family line of Jesus. The implications are amazing, church. The story of Ruth is about God proclaiming that there is something better than the law. There is something greater than the law. And right smack dab in the middle of the age of the law, we see God overruling the law. 
What we are witness to in the book of Ruth is the grace of God overruling the law. In advance of the advent of the incarnation of Jesus, the life of Jesus, his crucifixion, and his resurrection, smack dab up against the book of Judges, where the law was creating failure over and over for the people of God, God shows up and he shows his actual original intent, not only for the Jewish people, but for you and me too. So I'd like to say a few, thing about, a few things about women this morning. You know, there's only two books in the Bible named after women. And you could, you could mistake that. You could miss God's point in that. You might, you might be doing the math and you might be thinking, well, there's only two mentions, two books written after women. All these other ones are written or named after men. And, and the thing is, if, if you, if you apply a kingdom lens to that, it's the smaller that's the more important, isn't it? It's the least mentioned that will have the most mentioned, isn't it? It's the people that you least expect to have something done through that are going to be doing the most. But the, in the genealogies of Israel, only the men are named. The women are not entered into the family record. The family tree was always taken down through the men. And so a man with all daughters would have his name die out. This was even truer in the days of Ruth. And yet the grace of God has so overruled. So listen to this. Here's what the Bible says in the book of Genesis. It says that the blessing of God to mankind has come through the woman. And through her alone. Amen. (laughs) The promise was made to Eve that in her seed, not in the seed of the man, would the blessing come. The old rabbis, they used to read that prophecy and they were totally confused by it. They didn't set anything up to make that happen. That was something that proceeded from the mouth of God that could only be carried out with the actions of God. And it wasn't even, it was not fully understood until the virgin birth. The prophecy said that the seed of the woman shall bruise and crush the serpent's head. And it wasn't until the virgin birth of Jesus that the prophecy was fully understood. And yet in the story of Ruth, it was against the law that Boaz should marry the Levite or the Moabite woman. So in the beginning, God says, the blessing of God will come to mankind through the woman. But after that, man, everything was set up for the man to be amplified, exemplified, exalted. This is a man's world. <laughs> And there was this little Moabite woman in a strange land out somewhere in the backside of the wilderness that nobody had ever heard of. But it was illegal, according to the law, that Boaz marry her. He was not allowed to marry her. But grace overruled the law. And what is impossible under the law is possible for grace. The story of Ruth is the story of the overruling grace of God. The book 
of Ruth is the story of redemption. Naomi and her husband have left their inheritance behind and has fallen into the hands of others to whom it did not originally belong. When Naomi and her husband left Bethlehem, it wasn't just that they were going to look for food, although they were. The implications were very grave. What they were really doing was they were leaving behind their birthright. They were leaving behind the thing God had given them. They were in essence rejecting the promise of God in their life. This was the land that God gave to their family that was supposed to last from then until the end of time. So when they were walking away from Israel to go to Moab, it wasn't that they were just leaving the land behind for that day. It was that they were leaving the land behind forever. Elimelech was cutting his sons off from their inheritance by taking them away to Moab. But even then, it gets more difficult. Elimelech dies, and then his two sons die. And so there's virtually zero chance of that family ever regaining the thing that God gave to them in the first place. Zero chance of restoration. Zero chance of Naomi ever regaining the thing that belonged to her family. I see so much of myself in Naomi. I think about all the times in my life when I have given up on the promises of God in my life. Like Naomi, I have walked away from my inheritance. I have walked away from the things God has spoken over my life. I have found myself in the middle of famine and taken things into my own hands instead of believing God and trusting him. I have walked away from the things that God gave me, that God showed me, and I wandered over into a strange land where I did not belong. Can anybody else resonate with that? But Naomi was not completely foolish. When she heard that God had sent bread to Israel, she knew enough to make her way back. I mean, I got to think at that point, she had no idea of reclaiming her inheritance. All she wanted was to eat. You know, sometimes the Lord will use hunger in your life to get you to the place where he can bless you. Sometimes you'll arrive at a point of starvation and that hunger will lead you to the place where God can give you back the thing that you walked away from. When she heard that God has sent bread back to Israel, she knew enough to make her way back. That's how I have been my whole life. I have basically stumbled my way into the grace of God. Naomi, at one point, she says this, don't call, don't call me Naomi anymore. My name is now Mara. Naomi means sweet and pleasant. Mara means bitter. It means salty. It means disappointed. I really resonate with Naomi. I can think of whole seasons of my life where I walked around kicking rocks. She goes on to say that the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. But really, the Lord had not dealt bitterly with her. She and her husband left their inheritance. 
But I love that the Bible is so honest because it allows people to, in the Bible, to work out their false ideologies and false theologies. You have to be careful how you interpret the Bible because you could be, you could read the, the testimony of, of Naomi and you could actually think that God had dealt bitterly with her. But in reality, that is just her testimony of how God had dealt with her. It wasn't really the way that God had dealt with her. Just because you say something doesn't make it true. Just because you say the Lord has not been good to you or has not been faithful to you doesn't make it so. The whole time that she's thinking her life is bitter and her life is troubled and, and God has rejected her. The whole time she's thinking those thoughts, he's working in the background to get her back to the thing that she gave away so that he can give it back to her. And she's got nothing to do with it except she's just stumbling into it. She just heard there's bread over there and she happens to be hungry. I'm telling you, that's some really good news because you, you can be dumb as a mule and figure that out. I mean, that is a welcome to us all, isn't it? We can stumble our way into the grace of God and reclaim the thing that the Lord had for us in the beginning. His intent, God's intent for Naomi was goodness. But here's the thing. Life is hard, isn't it? People die. I was thinking about this yesterday with some friends. I was thinking about how interesting it is that that death is still a shock to me. Like every time I hear about somebody dying, I'm like, it's like the first time I've ever heard of that before. Do you know that? Yeah, have you ever experienced that? Like you hear somebody, you know, somebody's passed away and you're like, it's like, it's the strangest revelation. It's like, wow, how can that be? That just doesn't seem right. This, but, but it's a fact of life, right? It's part of being a human being at some point, you know. I mean, not one of us is going to be sitting in this room a hundred years from now. It still doesn't make it easy, does it? Knowing that is not very helpful. (laughs) So Naomi's loss was real. The Lord had not dealt bitterly with her, but she still took some hard knocks. She was still a woman grieving the loss of her husband and her two sons. It was a terrible loss. I know that feeling. When you suffer loss, it's easy to attribute the blame to God. But God's real grace shows up for Naomi and her suffering was severe, but God had a restoration in store for her. Here's the thing. In this story, there is a historic significance to what is about to happen. There's actually an eternal significance to what is about to happen to this family and in this family line. But you know what? It gets even better than that. The thing is, God actually cared about Naomi, the person. I mean, you can read this from the 10,000 foot view and you can be like, oh my gosh, this is so fantastic. God is introducing Gentile blood into the Savior's family line and man, their house is restored, their inheritance is restored. This is fantastic. The implications are massive, but even better than that, God cared about this one little old widow who had been left out on the backside of the wilderness all by herself enough to do this good thing for her. And that's how the Lord feels about you. You're a part of God's great plan, but he's also got this special, unique care and thought about you sitting in that seat right now. (sighs) 
God loves the individual. He wanted Naomi to regain what she had lost. I've made bad choices. I've left behind my inheritance. And, and like Naomi, I have said out loud in my mouth, God has dealt bitterly with me. And yet all the while, God's grace has been relentlessly pursuing my restoration. The story of Ruth is the story of God doing the impossible for my sake. For me. For me. And for you. So in the same way that I can see my life in Naomi, I see myself in Ruth. I have no means of my own. I have no resources of my own. I am a Moabite. I am a stranger in a strange land. I do not by right belong in the household and the family of God. I mean, even outside of the the parts of my life that I've made a complete mess out of. I mean, forget all that part. Just like, I don't know, just get up out of bed and have an average day. It still feels like I don't belong in the family of God. But here's the thing. My entire life, I have felt God coming after me. I have felt God coming after me in every season, high and low. I have felt the pursuing, overruling grace every single day of my life coming after me one way or another. There's a point in the story, Naomi and Ruth, they have absolutely nothing when they return to Judah. It's a pitiful situation. Their husbands are gone. Their inheritance is gone. They're absolutely poverty stricken. They're penniless. They have no means of support. They live in poverty and want. And in order just to have bread, they're just following harvesters in the field. Their husbands are gone, the inheritance is gone, and all they have are sorrow and lack and want. But guess what? This is the exact place. This is the exact best environment for the grace of God to work. He does his best work when things are the darkest. He does his best work when things are impossible. I relate so much with Ruth because Ruth is an outsider. She was a Gentile. And she was forbidden by the law to ever be in the assembly of the people of God. That's a really interesting thing to think about. It really, I I don't understand the Bible that much, to be honest with you, because I don't quite know how this all works out in, in a reasonable way. Because in Deuteronomy chapter seven, The Lord is commanding the people of Israel. As you go into this land, here's what you should never do. You should never marry a Hittite. You should never marry an Amorite. You should never marry a Philistine. You should definitely never, ever marry a Moabite. And they wrote it down in the law. Clear as day. There was no confusing. There was no blurred edges to this. This was the case. And everybody knew it. 
In Deuteronomy 23, it says this, no one born of a forbidden marriage nor any of their descendants may enter into the assembly of the Lord. Guess what? If Boaz was to marry Ruth, that marriage would be forbidden and none of their kids would be allowed at church. I mean, Ruth was already not allowed to at church. And the law goes further. It says, Boaz, if you marry this woman, not only will you no longer be welcome here, not only will she not be welcome here, but your children for 10 generations will be removed from the assembly of the Lord. Oh, man. Talk about an impossible situation. That's the greatest of odds, church. That's the greatest of odds, Boaz, the Bible says, was a righteous man. He knew the law. He was a good man. So when Ruth presents herself to Boaz, he knew what the right thing to do was according to the law. But in the greatest prophetic moment in the Old Testament, Boaz takes this Gentile bride into himself And that I'm telling you, the gates of heaven are wide open at that point. The outsider is all of a sudden all the way in. I mean, I mean, at this point, Ruth has got a good life, man. She's got a husband now. She's got the Naomi's inheritance back. But man, I, I just can't, I can't, I can't understand the goodness of God. I can't understand why he would seemingly contradict the word of his law and go to the backside of the Moabite wilderness and bring back a little widow woman over into Bethlehem, Judah and graft this little woman into the family line of Jesus. What an incredible prophetic declaration. The implications of that picture for then were huge. But the implications of that picture for us right now, I mean, it feels even bigger. I mean, if you ever needed permission to preach the full inclusive love of the gospel of the good news of Jesus, it would be right here in the book of Ruth. Because the very one that the book of the law said was not allowed in, the book of Ruth is proclaiming forth, is allowed all the way in. All the way in. Not only into this little part of the family, but into the bloodline of Jesus our Lord. What an incredible, incredible thing, church. <laughs> I, had this, I had this funny conversation with a friend yesterday. I, you know, as a songwriter, I'm, I, I have to be careful not to be, um, well, to me, the best songs are specific. They talk specifically about things. 
One of the things that I've noticed about, um, and hopefully this isn't too harsh of a critique, but one of the things that I've noticed about worship music in this day and age is it's very generalized. Um, and I'm, I'm just making fun, but it would be like something like, okay, guys, here's a song called Hope, and all I'm going to say, I'm going to just say the word hope over and over and over, and we're just going to sing that. Well, we all have an understanding of what the word hope means, and so that, that could mean, be somewhat meaningful to us, but, but man, it would be even better if I had a story that told me about something impossible that everybody said couldn't happen, but because of the Lord did happen. That's what the book of Ruth is. You should read the Bible because there's a story in there that is so profound that it'll actually change the inside of you to the degree that it will change the world around you. There's things going on in the book of Ruth that should give us tremendous joy, tremendous peace, tremendous real specific hope because we know that God's story is our story. And we know that this prophetic declaration of this stranger, this foreigner, this person that was not allowed into the family of God has been completely brought in against all odds, against the fullness of the law has been brought into the family line of God. Is somebody feeling this this morning? Are you feeling the heart of the Lord for you this morning? No, I know. I, I know some of you have maybe been discouraged in your life. Maybe you, recently you have gone through a season where the trials have been greater than your faith. And the thing about this is, it's just going to happen. There will be famines in our lives that we will not have faith to endure. I mean, we see it in the, in the biblical precedent. There will be scars that we take in this life. But the reality that this book shows is that the relentless, uncompromising, never-ending, unfailing, ridiculous nature of the fullness of God is that no matter what famine or wilderness or impossible situation that you find yourself in, he's pursuing you and he's restoring your inheritance to you. The thing that God spoke to you in the beginning is the good word that he's still speaking now. Do not count yourself out of the thing that the Lord has counted you in for from the very start. Actually, the Lord counted you in before you were even born. Actually, the Lord counted you in before the foundation of the world was laid. Before the creation of the world, before the creation of the universe, the Lord counted you in. Do not count yourself out. Do not count yourself out. Man, I, 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 I've said this before. I said this the last time I preached. I think my best days are in front of me. Your best days are in front of you. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. I've messed around. I've traded my birthright for a bowl of stew. I've done all the stupid things. I've been mad at God. I've been mad at my wife. My wife's been mad at me. But I'm telling you, I'm probably going to live to be 110 years old. 
And I'm going to be doing stuff for the Lord the whole way out. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to be, you know, swinging from the chandeliers the whole way. (laughs) But I know this, man, the faithfulness of God has been so apparent in my life over and over and over. And, And sometimes that's not good enough, is it? Like sometimes we forget our story with God. Sometimes we forget our testimony. And that's why we have the Bible, because we need to go back there. And we need to re-receive from the Lord himself his story, which we know to be our story. You are not disconnected from the Bible. You may think you are, but your thoughts are not always true. Lord, relieve us. Relieve us from the assumption that we are always correct. Lord, relieve us from the assumption that we already know everything that's in the word of God. Lord, relieve us from the idea that we don't need to speak to you every day. Lord, relieve us from the idea that you have nothing to say to us. God, you're speaking a good word over your people today. You're speaking a good word over your people today. You're speaking a good word. And and, and I I really want to be honest with you. I've been so disheartened before that when I heard a preacher like me preaching what I'm preaching, all I wanted to do was slap that guy. So if you're that person in this, your seat today, that's okay. I mean, I don't want you to slap me, but, but please know that you don't have to get your act together at this moment. The Lord is coming after you. You will stumble into the goodness of God, I promise you. I promise you. Man, the wide open spaces of the Lord's grace, it's impossible not to run into his goodness. Well, that's about all I have to say about that. Yeah, that's right. No, come here. I love you, Andy. (laughs) Woo! Cuss. Man, that was good. That was real good. How many of you guys are feeling that? Like right here? Yeah, I was actually asking for a show of hands, but let's do it again. How many of you guys were feeling that? That's right. Like right here, your story is mingling with the story of the ancients. There is not much difference between us and them. Not much has changed psychologically. Not much. We, in the story of human evolution, we have not evolved that far from these people. Uh, we are not different from them. So when we hear these stories, these are our stories. He's telling our stories. There in, there's something in you that is, uh, that, there's something in Ruth that is in you. Right? And that's why when Andy was saying, we need, you know, sometimes when we say, uh, read your Bible, God, it's, there's nothing that sounds worse than that, is there? Yeah. 
The reason it's funny is because it's true. But if, but if Andy stood up here and said, I want you to mingle your story with the ancient story and tie up your energy with the beautiful energy of everyone who's come before you and has wrestled with God, all of a sudden that is so exciting. Who is not excited about the idea that we can begin to read stories and then those stories begin to read us, right? We begin to read these stories about Ruth and Boaz and we read it one day and we're Ruth and we read it the next day and we're Boaz, right? One day you're the outsider looking in and the next day you can read it and guess what? You can, you can realize that I am the out, I am the insider. I am the perennial insider. What am I missing? Who am I missing? Who's stumbling into my tent, right? Who's God calling that's outside my tent? What, what, what's happening outside my tent that doesn't look like what I'm used to? You know, what's happening outside my tent that doesn't look like what it's used to, but it's God and it's God's movement, right? This is the assembly. This is what we're used to, but what's happening out there, right? You read it like, like that one day and then the next day you read it like you're Naomi, right? And you read it and you go, God, where have I looked at my story and seen, you know, like bitterness and realized like that was my own stupid decision. That wasn't God. I did that. I was the one that made that that way. God, I can't blame God for that. And look at what God's doing in the, you know, like sometimes in church we get that weird thing like, and it does happen. But, you know, we get that weird thing like, well, if I have this like, thought that God's awful to me, that God's not going to be good to me. Guess what? That's not the case. That's not the biblical record here. The biblical record here is this woman thinks that God's treated her badly. And guess what God's doing? Not treating her badly. And that's why we have to read our Bible daily. Because we want to mingle our stories with the stories of every person that's in these stories. Because these story, because when we begin to read these stories like they're real, like they, they could happen, like we are these people, that's when it, they're charged with electricity. You know what another word for electricity is? It's just the Holy Spirit, right? You know that feeling that you get when you watch a good story, when you go to a movie and you're like, whoa, you know? That's what reading the Bible for real is like. Not reading the Bible daily. That's dry. That's like a metaphor I'm not going <clears> to <throat> bring out right now. Um, anyway, so that was awesome. We're so thankful for Andy. We're so thankful for Ruth. We're so, so thankful for all of this stuff. Read your Bibles. It's awesome. And here's Robin McMillan. I, uh, I thought that was really good, Andy. Way to go. Let's give it up again for Andy. You know, the, the Bible about Ruth... Ruth literally stumbled into Boaz's field. When Andy talks about just stumbling into something and God doing something, that's literally what she did. She did not know anything about Boaz. Naomi didn't know where she was going. So she just happens to stumble into the only field owned by the only man in the nation who would have the least inclination towards helping her. That's amazing. That's amazing. 
I thought too, Naomi's name, um, or Ruth's name means friend. And while, while Naomi's testimony was don't call me Naomi, Naomi means pleasant, call me Mara means bitter. While she was complaining and misreading her circumstance, God was connect, had connected her to a person that was attracting all of heaven's resource on her behalf. That's okay. That's really good. That's cool. What does that mean for you and me? While you're stumbling and bumbling through your life, while you're complaining about why God didn't do something, God has put something or someone in your life that has the potential to attract all the fullness of heaven. Named Jesus. That's who God stuck in your life when you were complaining. The friend of sinner. Oh. The, come on, the friend of sinners. Let, let's, let's have a little, let's, let's say this together. Even though I messed up, Even though I messed up. God has a solution. God has a solution. I, I don't care what time it is. <laughs> you don't have anything better to do than sit here, I'm sure. <laughs> Football game's not at 4.30. I, I've told this story before. I want to tell it again because the point to me is, is just amazing about how little help God needs to really make your life work at, at certain, certain points. I, uh, I had a cold. I kept my wife up. Coughing, hacking around. She said, why don't you go get some medicine? So one Saturday morning, I go, I go to the drugstore and uh, where they have a doctor and it's a miserable experience. You peck your name into a little computer and it doesn't half work. And then you sit down over there and you wait for two days or whatever it is and <laughs> Then some doctor who really doesn't care any more about you than the man in the moon, you know. So I'm sitting there, uh, really being thankful, and <laughs> it's in around nine, nine in the morning, and I'm looking on my iPhone, and I, I run across this article, and it's about Pi Day, and it's about how Pi 3.14 the mathematical constant 22 sevenths, the relationship between the diameter of a circle and the size of the circle, whatever. And MIT puts out their acceptance letters on March the 14th, which is 314. And pi is 3.14. So I'm reading this thing and it goes blah, 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 how cool, awesome, awesome. Acceptance letters to a Brainiac University up north. Um, then it said, there's only one time between two seconds on the clock every hundred years. That is a very small window. One point in time between two seconds that accurately to the nth degree represents pi. Now, pi 3.14 is really 3.14 
and they can't find it stopping or repeating as a pattern. It's really talking about God. And so I'm sitting there, I'm going, wow, isn't that cool? I wonder when that is. Well, that happened to be in 2015. It was about 9.25 in the morning. And I realized it was in about 30 seconds. Because pi is 3.1415926, which would be March the 14th, 2015, 9.26 in the morning. There is one second between 9.25 and 9.26 in the morning when pi is demonstrated to its infinite degree. It only happens once every hundred years. If God had told me about it, I would have still missed it. Not only did I not miss it, I didn't even know anything about it, and he told me about it and let me experience it when I was dumb as a post, had no conclusion, no idea, stumbling around, I wind up in the right place at the right time to experience something that only happens once every hundred years. What is that? It's easy for God to get you where you're supposed to be. You don't even have to cooperate or know about it. Now, doesn't that open the door for living your life the wrong way? Yeah, give it a shot. See how that comes out. <laughs> give it your, yeah, give it your best shot. The only thing harder than being a Christian is not being one. Cause you get in, listen, and it's worse on people that have known him and wandered off. I'll tell you the truth. You think being a Christian is hard? Don't be one. That's the good news. God loves you. Happy Pi Day. <laughs> Praise God for Boaz. How many of you have a Boaz? How many of you have a kinsman redeemer named Jesus? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You knucklehead. You stumbled around. You messed it up. You went the wrong place. You went the wrong time. What does God want to do? He wants to help you out. How many of you need that kind of help? Amen. Also, we have ministry teams. We have teams that have been trained to help pray for you. They can minister to you prophetically. They can pray for you if you need healing, and they're very good at it. If you would like to participate and be prayed for, if you will come right over near that easel, we'll be glad to help you. Eric's still up there. I like a man that just sticks to it. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. Amen.